Hi, Simon Hill here. Enjoy our podcast. If you'd like to help us keep delivering the sort of quality football chat you want, then you can show your support by making a donation. Big or small, however much you can afford, we appreciate all your help and every cent will be ploughed back into improving production. Thanks in advance from all of us at Shim, Spider and so much more. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. much more take it away fellas yes hello again good to have you with us for episode 47 of shim spider and so much more the a-league finals are in full swing as are the euros and in our final segment we've got a terrific chat with andrew durante who of course has just called it quits after a remarkable 20-year career as a professional footballer we will discuss all the main talking points as per usual but this week it's just shim and spider because Maury is busy doing the Euros for Optus. So it's just me and you, the big arachnids. How are you, mate? Hey, that's good. We can have a good yarn then. We don't have to listen to Maury talking <laughs> shizer. <laughs> um, what did you make of England-Croatia at the Euros? Uh, I watched it, obviously, on behalf of England. And you watched it on behalf of Croatia. I think you were at a fan fest, weren't you? Yeah, I was in. I was in the middle of Zagreb. It was fantastic atmosphere. Uh, it was really good. It, it was exciting. I, I thought it was a bit of a dull match. I don't know what you think, uh, but mm. I think the heat had a lot to do with it. Mm. Uh, if you looked at the faces of the players, they they were really struggling. It was warm, uh, and in London. That doesn't happen much, does it? No, it doesn't. And a warm day in London, let me tell you, is very, very warm. Uh, I thought it was a good start for England. Um, I thought they opened very well uh, and then fell into a bit of a hole. Maybe the heat had something to do with that. Good finish by Sterling. Uh, All in all, uh, a decent performance. But I thought Croatia were disappointing. Toothless up top. No no replacement for Mandzukic as yet, that's for sure. Yeah, uh, I, I agree with you. I, I thought Croatia didn't really create anything. Um, they're playing without a, really a nine. They don't really have a nine. So he's, I think he had a lot of pressure to play Kramaric and he was very quiet. Um, not really his position out there wide on the on the wing. So yeah, Croatia's got a lot of work to, to do. Uh, they've got two very difficult games to come. England, good start for them. Oh, I thought England was solid. I thought they deserved the win. 
Um, and it'll ease a bit of the pressure off you, Poms. Yes, it's the first uh, time that they've ever won the opening game at a European Championships at the 10th attempt. So uh, a little bit of pressure off Gareth Southgate. We'll talk more about the Euros a little bit uh, later on in uh, the show. Uh, before all that, we're going to talk domestic football in Hard Talk. Hard Talk. Hard Talk is brought to you by Streamgate, one of Australia's first live streaming companies operating since 2008. They focus on virtual and hybrid events, broadcasting to unlimited online audiences worldwide by either a secure private stream page or publicly on social media. Live streaming allows social online engagement as viewers are able to communicate back to the presenters in real time while social distancing. So should you require a small personal event or business level webcast, please go to streamgate.com.au or you can find them on Instagram. Uh, well, Spider, we'll start with the Socceroos uh, and their World Cup qualifier against Nepal. Um, of course, they defeated Chinese Taipei before that fairly easily and Kuwait. Uh, goals from Leckie, Karacic and Boyle in the latest qualifier. They'll finish off against Jordan on Wednesday. Um, who stood out for you? And uh, are you impressed by the way that Graham Arnold is trying to sort of build some depth? He's handed out quite a few debuts during these uh, World Cup qualifiers to several fringe Socceroos. I, I think it's good that he's given these boys an opportunity because let, let's be honest, uh, even with a second string team, we should be able to win these games. And there's a lot of players getting international experiences. Uh, I think they've been good. I think they've been expected to win convincingly. I think they've done that as well. Uh, you know, people are saying it wasn't a great game. They're international matches. They're not easy. Uh, I think Karacic has been good. I think Leckie's been, been very good. I think he's led uh, by example. We've been dominant, Simon. Uh, we expected that. And, you know, I'm really looking forward to the next phase. I'll be honest with you. I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see where this group of players are at because the atmosphere around the Socceroos and what Arnie's done, I think he's brought the, the fight for the jersey, the love of the jersey back. And you can see that. As you say, it's about to get a whole lot tougher. Um, and the final round of qualifiers, and there's no guarantee as yet that we're going to be able to play games at home. Uh, which obviously is very, very important. Uh, are you optimistic about the team's chances of qualifying for the World Cup? And indeed, if they get there, doing uh, doing well? Look, I think we have to be. I think it's quite a young side. Uh, I think a lot of players that are a very good age. So I think that that's something that I know Arnie's quite strategic in the way he looks at building teams. I, I think we have to be. I think we've got to believe in the squad. We've got to believe in the players. We've got to believe in the coach, the style. Um, I don't see any reason not to be optimistic. Can we believe and be optimistic about the Matildas, uh, Spider? Another loss to Denmark, 3-2 uh, in the end. They were 3-0 down after 25 minutes. Is that cause for concern? And I wonder if there are parallels here with uh, what Tony Gustafsson is trying to do with, with Ange Postacoglu's sort of first year in charge of the Socceroos, quite a a few years ago. Is he is he trying to build something a bit different, do you think? Is that why we're getting these uh, poor results early on? Look, he's he's had to change the squad around a bit, hasn't he? Mm. Um, rejuvenate the squad. Again, players getting international matches. 
learning what it's about. It, it's difficult. International football is difficult against the top teams. Whether he's trying to create a new style, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure about that because Ante Milicic come in as well and, you know, we said uh, he was creating a new style. Each coach has his brand of football. Each coach will see what he thinks the team can do and maybe it's taking time to gel. But it's better, better that he has these hiccups now before qualifiers or before the World Cup actually comes around. Well, they're not too far away, are they? Uh, the Tokyo Olympics is uh, the first challenge for the Matildas. And indeed, uh, of course, the Oli Roos, who are going to be there for the first time since 2008. Uh, let's move away from uh, the international scene for the moment. Talk about the A-League finals. Uh, Central Coast Mariners nil, MacArthur FC 2. I was there on Saturday night calling the game for SEN on radio. A terrific atmosphere, I have to say. It's, it's been a long, long time since I've seen uh, that venue as full as that and as passionate as that. But in the end, Spider, a hugely professional performance uh, by the Bulls. Um, goals, of course, from Mombwa, unless it goes down as an own goal for Stefan Negro and Michael Roos. And they just did a job on the Mariners. Yeah, uh, look, the atmosphere was excellent, wasn't it? Uh, it was great to see the Mariners supporters get behind their team. But I told you the week before, MacArthur have a lot of experienced players. And in a one-off match, they actually showed their experience. They were, they were very clever. Um, Central Coast had them under the pump for a while. But mate, when you got experience like Federici and Milligan and Derbyshire up top, they can just take the sting out of the game. They know how to do it. Look, I think Central Coast has been fantastic this year. I think what they've achieved and what Alan Stadjic has done with the team has been fantastic. The key is now for them is to build on this next year. Do you think that they missed Ruan Tongik and in particular, Oli Bazanic, who does yeah. offer the Mariners that little bit of experience and a bit of composure on the ball and he can just buy you a second and steady things down a bit? Yeah, I, I thought Bazanic was a massive miss. And I think if you speak to, to anyone who's a Mariners supporter, uh, Tongik as well, 100%. But Bazanic is a, he's the ringleader of that team. He, he makes him tick. He speeds the game up. He, he gets on the end of things. He sets goals up. Uh, I think they missed him and they missed him a lot. Um, that takes MacArthur through, of course, uh, to face Melbourne City, which is rather dubious reward to face the Premiers. Um, City, of course, will hope that that game is at home, although there are still some issues with COVID at the moment in Victoria. A MacArthur, a chance for you that... There are some suggestions, potentially, this, this happened late on, that Susayeta and Derbyshire came off sort of feeling hamstrings. They've got a week to recover, but if, if it is hamstring problems, they don't heal that quickly, do they? No, no. Look, I think MacArthur, I think Ante Milicic have done an absolute fantastic job this year. First season, semi-finals, uh, great achievement. I think... Yeah. They're facing a different beast now, aren't they? Melbourne City. Uh, they are the form team of the competition. Uh, I, I'm expecting Melbourne City to be too good for them, like they have been throughout the year, but they do have players missing. And as I said, MacArthur do have experienced players. If those two players are fit and can play, uh, they'll, give, they'll give Melbourne City a, a, real, a real fright. If they're out, uh, I think it'll be a Melbourne City steamroll. 
A grand final in your first season would be uh, some achievement. Of course, Ante Milicic has done that before as Tony Popovich is number two with the Wanderers back in 2013. So he knows what it takes. Um, Brisbane Adelaide was the other elimination final on Sunday. Um, big crowd at uh, Dolphin Stadium. Not that it helped the Raw much. Uh, Adelaide winning by two goals to one, even without Craig Goodwin and Cassini Yangi, two of uh, the attacking players who've been so impressive for them this season. Uh, but Tommy Juric stepped up to the plate, Spider. Two goals. Two excellent goals. Two excellent goals from a... Uh... From an out-and-out striker. And, and that's what you want in big games like that. Look, Brisbane put Adelaide to the test, especially in the second half. It was backs to the wall for Adelaide. They were defending with their lives. Uh, but you got to give Carl Vick credit and the Adelaide team and a young Adelaide team to go there. And I think that's the first time that Brisbane has lost a game at home in a final series. So it's a huge win for Adelaide. Huge. Sure is. Uh, can they back it up, Spider, and go to Sydney next week, which is going to be the other semi-final, and uh, cause a boil over against Steve Corica's team? Can you see that uh, happening? Look, uh, I don't think so, Simon. Uh, I think first and second will play off in the grand final. It's just a massive advantage, ain't it, for, for the teams that finish first and second. Uh, look, they'll, they'll be competitive. Do I think they can beat Sydney FC? No, I think Sydney FC will go to their their third grand final in a row. So it's Melbourne City against Sydney FC in the in the granny for you. That's what we've been saying for about forty weeks, <laughs> and I'll stick to it. Fair enough. At least you're consistent. Um, let's move away from uh, the A League. Uh, Australian clubs, as we reported last week, pulling out of the Asian Champions League, which is a big decision. Uh, we understand why they've done it. Um, the issue, as we found out so during the week, is that Australia's coefficient now might drop so low that we may have to play or our teams may have to play in the AFC Cup, which is the second tier tournament. That's not great, is it? No, that, that, that's disappointing by, by the AFC. It really is disappointing, especially with... They, well, they it's, it's not their start. decision, Spide. It's not their decision. It's the fact that the coefficient that, that is, is worked out by your results on how you mm. perform in the Champions League. And of course, if you're not yeah. in it, you can't earn points. Yeah. So yeah. Our, our coefficient will drop beneath a certain level and other teams will, will jump or other countries will yeah. jump above us. No, no I, and I totally understand that. But I just think it's disappointing that they know why we're pulling out. It's not because the clubs want to pull out. I don't think the clubs want to pull out. They have no choice with the way we have to isolate and quarantine here in Australia. And the clubs here are realistically saying, well, it's it's not possible. So, you know, we, we're going to have to pay the price. That, that That's for sure. Um, yeah, that, that league in itself is somewhere we don't want to play. It costs us a lot of money playing in the uh, Champions League, let alone what's it going to cost us to play in that competition. Indeed. Uh, we will see what happens with that. Um, let's talk a little bit about Ange Postacoglu. It's been a great week for uh, Australian coaches, actually. Uh, obviously, that a lot's been uh, said and written about uh, Ange Postacoglu going to Celtic. We've talked about it on this podcast. It was finally confirmed uh, last week. And in the same time, at the same time, Harry Kuehl confirmed as uh, returning to coaching with Barnett and Joe Montemuro. Uh, getting the uh, head gig for the Juventus women's team over there in Italy as well. That's 
that's not a bad week's work for Australian coaches, is it? Uh, it's brilliant. Look, the headlines have got to go to Ange. Uh, Celtic, an Australian coach at Celtic. When did you ever expect to hear that? So that that is that is brilliant. Um, and I hope Ange rocks their world over there with his football. And I think it'll open up a lot more opportunities for other coaches. Joe Montemura going to another huge club in Juventus. Uh, again, massive and congratulations to him and hopefully he can deliver the goods over there. I know Juve spent a lot of money on their women's program so he's going to have all the tools to be successful. The one that surprised me, it's great to hear that Harry's coaching again but to Barnett like I think he's a much look, it's hard to say I think he's a bit, he's better than that if that makes sense, Simon. But if you look at the if you look at the jobs that he's had, Crawley Town, uh, Notts County, Oldham Athletic, they've all been in the lower reaches of English football. And with the greatest respect to Harry, he's he's done okay, so particularly at Crawley, but he, he's not set the heather on fire, um, and he's been moved on pretty quickly from from all those jobs. So I guess this sort of a level of club is about where he's at in coaching terms at the moment. Would you agree? Yeah. Oh, look, I, I, I don't know if I agree. I, I don't know. I know what you're saying. I get what you're saying. But I don't know if I agree that he's at that level because the lower you go, like I have this thing, the lower you go, the less quality you're working with. And it becomes hard to get success, hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. And he's going to a semi-pro, semi-pro league. It, it's very difficult to train uh, at the expectations that you as a manager want, unless you know that league perfectly. Albeit, Barnett are a professional club in everything but name. Yes, they're playing in, in the National League at the moment. They've got a very smart stadium, the, the Hive, which replaced Underhill, famous uh, but rather rickety old ground. And I think everything is in place there for a return to the Football League and full-time football, but uh, I guess that's part of Harry's brief as uh, one of the coaching staff to try and deliver that. Um, we're going to move on to overseas matters. So before that, a little shout-out to Nigel Bogard. I was up in Newcastle on Friday night covering their awards night. Um, it's not been a great season, obviously, for the Newcastle Jets, but uh, they gave a lovely send-off to Nigel Bogard, who really has been uh, an icon of the club over the last five or six seasons, and he was pretty emotional um, so congratulations, uh, Nigel, on a terrific career and uh, all the very best to a Jets favourites in retirement. All right, let's uh, head overseas. London Calling. London Calling. Go further with the Australian College of Physical Education. With more than 100 years of experience, ACPE's courses are designed to get you career ready. Bachelor degrees in sports performance and business, health science, applied fitness, education and dance can help turn your dream into a career. Find out where ACPE can take you. Apply online today for semester one 2021 at acpe.edu. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. .au. Well, we're going to dedicate Spider R Overseas uh, segment two, of course, uh, the Euros uh, this week. Um, let's start with the incident that really shocked the world. Uh, Christian Eriksen, the game between Denmark and Finland, seemingly uh, a nothing moment. He went to uh, take possession of the ball, fell flat on his face. We've seen this happen before in football. Uh, just terrifying stuff. Uh, Eriksen clearly very unwell, had a heart attack, um, but credit to his teammates, in particular skipper Simon Kier, uh, who was immediately on the scene, uh, tried to give him CPR, got the process started, comforted Eriksen's partner, got the te- got all his teammates in a circle to uh, surround the, the medicos so that they uh, the, the media couldn't film this this horrible incident. Um, but just shocking, Spider, to, to see all this unfold at such a major tournament. No, it was it was scary um, to actually sit there and and, and watch that. And I, I don't know Ericsson personally, but a lot of the people that we know do, and you could see a lot of people were were shattered and scared, like like we should be. And you can't believe it, Simon, that man, this is a very fit athlete, and it just shows to you how how life is, uh, it can change in, a, in, in such a short time. Mm. But credit to, to Kia, the way he acted, the leadership he showed, and hopefully uh, the news is that Ericsson is, uh, is recovering, which is, which is fantastic. And we hope that he has a, a very speedy recovery. But uh, to both teams, again, to come out and play after that had happened, was another sign of uh, of strength by both teams and the supporters of both both countries, Denmark and Finland, were un- unbelievable throughout the whole thing. I, I guess that uh, from the Danish players' point of view, uh, not that you want to go out and play a game of football just an hour or so after that traumatic experience, but the thought of uh, having to go back to the hotel and probably relive all that stuff in your head and then have to get up again the next day and go and play the game. I guess that's it's probably better to get it out of the way, isn't it? Even though they lost, and I don't think they would care about that, uh, handing Finland, incidentally, their first ever win in the finals. But I would imagine if that's your your teammate, and footballers become pretty close, Spider, don't they? When you're, mm. you're part of a group, and you you know, particularly at the national team level, you felt that with with the Socceroos for many years. If one of your teammates is you know in in mortal danger, you, you'd feel that pretty deeply, wouldn't you? Oh, you do. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. I I actually don't know how the Danish team went out and played. I I really don't. It's, it's amazing the courage that they showed. And you know what, Simon? I think they would have got back to the hotel. They would have heard the good news that he was uh, conscious, that he that he knew what was happening, and it would have been a massive burden off him. A massive burden. Just just one more on this, Spider, before we move on. Um, obviously, this brought back horrendous memories of Mark Vivian Foe, uh, who mm. collapsed and sadly didn't survive uh, at the Confederations Cup in 2003. Uh, another incident, Fabrice Mwamba uh, playing in the Premier League. He did survive, thankfully. 
I know you can't always legislate for these things um, and, and life can be random, but having played in these big tournaments yourself, are players monitored and tested before big tournaments like these? Are the regulations strict enough? Look, these players, Simon, are tested mate, umpteen times throughout a year. Um, I don't know anymore what, what can be done, to be honest with you. Uh, it, it's something like, I read something about Ericsson, it was something that can get un, undetected. Mm. Like It really is something that's so minute as that, that can get undetected, that can actually cause something so grave as it did. So, I, yes, look, I, I think they get tested more than enough. I really do. Okay. Uh, let's talk a bit about the actual uh, football. Um, Italy, starting with a big win over Turkey, who are reportedly one of the dark horses in this tournament. Uh, 28 games unbeaten now for Roberto Mancini's young team. He's doing a terrific job uh, for a, a side that, of course, didn't qualify for the World Cup in Russia in 2018. Um, could they be a potential winner? Of this tournament, or is it a little bit too early for Italy? Do you think? Well, I tipped them last week, Italy and France. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man, you how did. bad's your memory with yeah. it? <laughs> there's, there's a lot happened in a week. <laughs> <laughs> you're right, you're right. I, I think they're a very good side. Uh, I think they're a very good side. They're playing full of confidence. Uh, they've got the country behind them. You know, the funny thing is, it's, in, it's incredible what the Italians are like. So now that they're playing this unbelievable open brand of football, attacking, scoring goals, the negativity comes in. Oh, we can't win like this. We've got to defend. We've got to win 1-0. We've got to be backs to the wall kind of stuff. It, it's like supporters are never happy, really. That's, a, that, they were that's a that's a proper football culture, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Hey, it is. You're when right. you just can, can continue to find fault in your team, even when they win, that is exactly what football is, is about. Um, let's talk about Belgium. Uh, they are one of the tournament's fancied teams. That resounding win over Russia in St. Petersburg, three goals to nil. Uh, they're just scoring goals for fun. Aren't they? I think they netted forty in the qualifiers, which was more than any other. Uh, team in the build-up to these uh, Euros, I reckon they've got to go close this time, surely. Very good side. Uh, one with a leg in the air. Uh, very dominant performance. Uh, and they've still got some players out, some big players out. So, yeah, look, if they continue like this, we know they're one of, one of the favourites. We, we said it before, Simon, before the tournament started. It's a very open Euros. There's Six or seven very, very good teams that could beat each other on any given day. Um, Wales and Switzerland drew one apiece. Uh, Wales, grateful to Danny Ward for some uh, fine saves. They were under the pump against the Swiss. Kiefer Moore earning them a fortunate point. Uh, North Macedonia's debut in the big uh, finals didn't go according to plan. Uh, they lost 3-1 to Austria. Goran Pandev scoring 20 years after his international debut, he's still some player, isn't he, Spider? Tell, tell Mate, us a Goran you... Pandev story. Come on. There you go. I'll give you a Goran Pandev story. So a few years back when we were at Western Sydney Wanderers, we actually wanted to sign him as the marquee. And one of the pen pushers up in the FFA said he's not a big enough name. No. Oh, there you go. There's your scoop for the day. <laughs> What would he have brought to the A-League, do you think? Look, he was still at his... He's still playing in the Serie A now. 
He's still scoring goals. He was a massive name back then. But the people that were... I, I can't actually remember who was in the FFA at the time. So I'm not throwing anyone under the bus because I honestly can't remember. But uh, they actually told us he's not a big enough name to bring to the A-League as a marquee. It was incredible. And, you know, we, we talk about the game, uh, football people making football decisions. Jesus, Goran Panda has been a massive name for a long, long time. Did you know him personally? You, you played against him a couple played of times, you? Played against him. Yeah. Played against him uh, heaps of times. Very, very good player. Such a smart, smart footballer. Uh, and you know what, Simon? Someone who's his age, I think he's 37 or 38 now, and he's still scoring goals in the Serie A. That shows his quality. And, you know, he goes to Euros now with North Macedonia and scores there. You know, players like that, I love when players like that do these kind of things for their countries because it inspires young players to keep playing the game. Absolutely. What a pity that we didn't see him. In the A-League, um, the Netherlands defeated Ukraine in a bit of a cliffhanger by three goals to two. Uh, Denzel Dumfries, not a very Dutch name, is it? <laughs> Scoring score the winner for, uh, for the Dutch late on. Um, and over in uh, the Copper America, of course, uh, this is such a strange story that they've switched the tournament, the hosting of the tournament, uh, from Argentina and Colombia because Colombia is having civil unrest and Argentina, of course, is blighted by COVID. So where do they move it to? Brazil, the country that's had 475,000 deaths due to COVID. I, I literally cannot uh, understand that. That leaves me scratching my head. And the first game of the tournament, Venezuela, bang, hit by a massive COVID outbreak. They're without up to a dozen players. And they lose 3-0 to Brazil. What a surprise in the opening Yes. Game. Yes. Yeah, uh, it really is incredible. Uh, what, what's that saying? The show must go on, Simon. So they found a way for it to go on. Um, it, look, it's crazy, especially in those times, especially with the way things are in South America. But you know what? We can sit here and we can talk about it and we know what rules football and it's all about money. It is, which is also why, of course, uh, European Championship is going on across 11 different cities in Europe, even in the midst of a global pandemic, which uh, doesn't seem to make an awful lot of sense. But uh, anyway, it gives us plenty to talk about. Uh, thanks for the moment, Spider. We're going to move on to our final segment today. And another famous footballing name awaits us in Footballers' Lives. Footballers' Lives. Well, our guest today was born in Sydney in 1982. He began his football career with Sydney Olympic, winning an NSL title in 2002 before switching to Parramatta Power for the final year of the old competition. After a brief stint in Singapore, he returned home to play for the Newcastle Jets at the outset of the A-League, then spent 11 years across the Tasman playing for Wellington Phoenix, during which time he qualified to play international football for New Zealand, representing the All-Whites on 24 occasions. He came back to Australia in 2019 with Western United and announced his retirement just a couple of weeks ago. He is, of course, Andrew Durante. Good to have you with us. Jura, how are you? Yeah, good, Simon. How are you? We're very good. How's retirement? 
<laughs> after two weeks <laughs> yeah it's still early it's uh, it probably hasn't kicked in yet it's just feels like it's the off season and um, yeah. probably in my brain it feels like I'm going to start the season uh in next next season but look I think I think when next season starts it's probably when it'll hit me that I'm not involved for the first time in a in a very long time take us back to those uh carefree childhood days uh, who was the team that you supported growing up, if you had one, who was your playing idol? Uh, and did you always want to be a footballer? Yeah, when I was young, um, you know, on, on TV, on SBS was always uh, Serie A. You know, Serie A was the, the main um, league growing up. So I was always watching that. Uh, AC Milan were, were my, were my favourite team. And Maldini is obviously an idol of mine and, and still is to this day. You know, the guy's a legend and... Um, Spider actually got to play with him, which is which is um, pretty special. So, not, not a bad club that Jura, and uh, yeah, not a yeah. bad player that guy you mentioned as well. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, growing up and idolising him, and, and coming from an Italian background as well, my dad's Italian, so um, yeah, I loved it. I, I loved it, and um, growing up in Sydney, um, did my junior football at um, a club called Sydney Astrolobe, which I don't think they're around anymore, and. And then did representative football with Eastern Suburbs before going to, to Sydney Olympic. Uh, do you remember your debut for Olympic? Now, I did a bit of research. I hope this is the correct game. Uh, mm -hmm. It was against Sydney United in front of about yeah. 10,000 at Toyota Park, which yeah. is quite a, a game to make your debut in, the, the old rivalry. And you won the match as well, thanks to a goal from Dylan McAllister. Yeah, so I had a first grade contract the year before that and Branko Cellina was the coach and he didn't rate me. So he sent me back to the youth team and I, and I uh, ended up in the youth team for that whole season. And then in the, the next um, preseason, he ended up getting sacked and Gary Phillips came in and he liked me. He, he had dealt with youth players before. He was the QAS coach and, you know, he trolled me in a few games before the season started and, yeah, he liked me in Sydney. Sydney United was the first game. And I remember I was actually, I remember the game pretty vividly. I was, I was really nervous. And, um, you know, I just played a really simple game, didn't make too many mistakes and, and just kept it simple. And Dylan McAllister scored the goal, I think, to make it 1-0. And, and we won that first game. And, and that was the beginning of my career. I played pretty much every game that year, um, which was which was a huge gamble for Gary Phillips to take on a young kid. Um, but he gave me so much confidence and, and I really grew in that season. Pretty much every game in a title-winning season in your first year, and yet you didn't play in the grand final. Why was that? Yeah, so um, in the final series back then, if you got two yellow cards within the final series, you'd miss the next game. And and I got my second yellow card in the major semi-final against Newcastle, uh, up in Newcastle. So that meant that I was suspended for the grand final. And you know, we went through the PFA and Brendan Schwab to try and get it, um, you know, taken away the yellow card and. We pleaded to everyone to, to try and, you know, get it, get it removed, but, you know, they wouldn't do it. So, yeah, unfortunately, even though I won the championship, I, I wasn't involved on the final day, which was, which was really upsetting, you know, it really, um, you know, it really affected me a lot. But, you know, uh, being in the final in the first season, you think, oh, they'll, they'll come around every year and, you know, this is pretty easy. But you, you work out later in life that these big moments don't come around that often. To be fair, it's funny you say that because I've heard that from a few players lately talking about it. They actually don't come around. Yeah. Like players play their whole career and, and they play and they have great careers, but those finals, those important matches, you don't realise it as a player, do you, Jura? Yeah, you, you take it for granted. And, um, you know, my first championship was with Sydney Olympic in 2001, 2002 season. And then I didn't get a chance again until the 2007, 2008 
and now I've played the rest of my career and never got myself into a grand final again. So, you know, I've played in many big games, but, um, you know, championships are really hard to come by. Um, you went to Parramatta Power for the final season of the NSL. They actually did make the grand final that year, but you weren't involved. I think you'd only played a handful of games under Nick Theodorakopoulos. What happened with the, with the power? Yeah, so... Um, you know, Sydney Olympic at the time were, were really struggling financially. So they basically said, if you want to go, um, you know, we, we, we want you guys to go because we can't afford to pay you anymore. anymore. So me and Clint Bolton and Milicic, we, uh, we all left from Sydney Olympic and went to Parramatta Power. And they put together this super team. Like we had the who's who really of, of the NSL at the time, Petrovsky, Fernando Rec, Gumprecht. Um, you know, we had some, you know, big names at, at the time and, I broke my leg. Um, I think it was in round five of that season against Marconi. Um, so I missed the entire season pretty much. And we made the grand final that year against um, Perth Glory. Uh, we lost it. But yeah, again, another moment, um, you know, the big, big moment that uh, I wasn't a part of. So it was getting a bit, uh, a bit frustrating for me. And even the year before that at Sydney Olympic, we made the final again. And I was on the bench. Uh, Lee Sterry had, I'd played a lot of, I'd played a lot that season. And then uh, I was on the bench for the grand final. So I went from suspension first year um, uh, on the bench for the second year and then injured for the third year. So three years in the, in the uh, professional football, three grand finals and no appearances. You were to make up for that, though, obviously a little bit yeah. later on. We'll come on to that with the Newcastle Jets. Yeah. But before that, I just want to ask you about your little stint with Ballastir Khalsa in Singapore. This was to be... Your only overseas stints, uh, unless you count Wellington Phoenix, of course, um, <laughs> during your entire career. Uh, a club popular, as I understand, with the Sikh community in Singapore. Um, and there were a few Aussies in the league at the time. John Angelucci, uh, Alexander Juric, uh, Stuart Petrie, who wasn't Aussie, uh, nor was Andre Gumprecht, but we got to know them very well in, in this part of the world. Um, how did that come about and how did you enjoy that particular experience? Yeah, so obviously at the end of the... Parramatta Power season. Um, I was I was coming back from injury still, and and there was no A League. Uh, sorry, well there was no more NSL. The NSL had stopped, and then there was that big 10, 11 month transition to to turn into the A League. So all the players were trying to leave to just to get some game time. I think most players were going to either Malaysia or Singapore at the time um, just to get minutes in. And for me, it was really important. I, I needed to play. I'd I'd had a metal rod put in my in my leg, and um, I needed to get back playing. So. Leo Karras was my agent at the time and, and he got me over there um, and I played, I was there for six months, I think. I played, I don't know, 10, maybe eight to 10 games over there, which was perfect for me. And while I was over there, um, I signed a contract in the A-League for the Newcastle Jets. So I knew I was coming home um, to be part of the A-League. So yeah, it was, it was an important time in, in my career to be back playing and get my confidence back up. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was a, it was a, it was a decent club. Like you said, it had a, a real um, big Indian following and and backing. And you know, like the names you rattled off there, it was the first time I'd really lived away from home. So um, uh, Wayne O'Sullivan, Stuart Petrie, uh, these guys took me under their wing, uh, and we had some, we had some good nights and some good times over there. And and I grew, I grew, you know, became more of an adult over there. And um, yeah, you know, those those six months over there were fantastic for me. So then you uh, signed for the Newcastle Jets, as you say, at the outset of the A-League. Um, was there no interest from Sydney FC at the time, which obviously was your your, your home city? 
Uh, I can't remember, to be honest. I just remember Leo uh, Karras, he, he said, look, there's a three-year deal um, for you at, at Newcastle. These are some of the players that they're signing. Um, and he thought it was a really good opportunity for me to go there and actually play. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't remember what other offers or if anything was around at the moment, but um, it seemed a good fit. I know they were signing Nicky Carl and uh, Ante Milicic at the time. Jade North was signing. So... They were players that I was familiar with and they were big signings as well. So I knew that I was going to a club that wanted to be successful. It certainly worked out okay. Because, of course, in 2008, you did finally play in the big one. Uh, and not only played, but won the Joe Master medal as the Jets won their first and so far only A-League title. Really emotional day. Really uh, a big moment for me. Obviously, like we spoke about before, missing playing in those grand finals. Um, even my first year in Newcastle, I, uh, I broke my leg again for the second time. So I got back from Singapore, did all the pre-season really well. And then a couple of weeks before the season started, broke my leg for a second time. So I missed that whole uh, 2005 season. So then coming back and, and winning it and playing and getting man of the match was just, it was a really big moment for me. Uh, obviously, Family was all there. I remember going over to them in the crowd, and and, and they were all crying. And it was a it was a big moment. It was it it really made those difficult moments and those dark days of rehab, you know, really worth it. And of course, Jura, it was against the Mariners too. Sorry, go on, Spider. Sorry, sorry, Simon. I just want to ask Jura now that he's retired. Uh, maybe he can give us a little rundown. Why does he think Newcastle has struggled for so long in the A League? Like they started off really well, and it's just sort of like gone downhill. Can you I think, put your um, finger on it? I think the instability of, of ownerships has really affected them. You know, there was big talk when Tinkler took over um, that he was going to be the big saviour of, of the Knights, the, the rugby league team, and and the football, and it didn't work out to be. And, and then he moved on, and, and now they have the Asian owners uh, there, and, and they want to pull out. So there's so much instability around the football club. Um, it's unfortunate because it's such a big club and the fan base is huge over there. I mean, they, they love it and, and they really get behind their team. And yeah, you know, I don't know that, you know, what goes on internally, but, you know, from an external factor, I think that's one of the major things that I can see when, when the, there's so much instability at the top of the organisation and it can filter right down, um, you know, into the playing group. So that's the only thing that I can really think of is why they've, they've struggled of late. Jura, at, at the time that you won the grand final, of course, Con uh, Constantine was the owner and major investor of the, of the Newcastle Jets. I want to recite a little apocryphal story, and I don't know if it was you that was in this apocryphal uh, press conference, but you can tell me if it was. I heard a story that uh, you were asked about your future at the Newcastle Jets, and Gary Van Egmond was sat next to you. I think this is the post-game press conference. Yeah. And you uh, very diplomatically said, we will sit down at the end of the season, go through the pros and the cons, to which Gary Van Egmond said, it'll be mainly the cons, <laughs> in reference to Con Constantine. That was you, wasn't it? Yeah, that was that was true. That was exactly what happened. <laughs> I think that's yeah, such Con, a great story. Con was a hard guy to deal with, and, and I was going through contract talks at the time, and obviously Wellington Phoenix, it was, it was known that they had put an offer to me to go there. And um, look, I wanted to stay. I really wanted to stay. We had such a good young group of players. Um, you know, and Bridgie ended up leaving Mark Bridge and Stuart Michalik ended up leaving and then I left. And it was a real shame because if we could have kept that group together a, a lot longer, um, you know, we could have won championships for a lot, uh, you know, years to come because we, we were all young kids, you know, mid-20s, all playing really well. So, yeah, it was a real shame that it all came apart like that. 
So you, you head off to Wellington Phoenix um, as that jet squad somewhat broke up after the grand final win. Did, did you think you would stay in New Zealand for 11 years and then end up playing for the national team as well? No, nah, I mean, I, I signed a two-year deal initially and I, and I said to my girlfriend, my wife now, um, look, let's just go over. We'll see what it's like. We'll have a couple of years and then we'll come back to Oz and, um, you know, carry on. But honestly, I got there and, you know, I got made the captain and I really enjoyed it. I, I loved it. The people that I got to play with over there were, you know, they became family. When you live in a small little uh, city like Wellington, every birthday, every Christmas, Easter's big moments, you spend it with your teammates because you got no one had family over there. So your teammates became your family and, and we formed such a strong bond over there. The wives were all really close and yeah, I loved it. I, I never really came out of contract over there. Every time I was close to coming out of contract, that offered me a new deal to keep me on. And you know, it was never difficult conversations in terms of negotiations because they, they valued me and they wanted me to stay there. So yeah, 11 years, I, I didn't think that. And also, like you said, to play for the national team. You know, I was I was in the Socceroos squad a, a few times, um, sat on the bench for an, an Asian Cup game as well against Indonesia. And all I wanted to do was was be a Socceroo growing up and um, never got the opportunity. Pimpa Beak, you know, like I said, chose me. But then uh, I think Holger Rossi came in after that and, and I wasn't selected in the next camp. So Ricky Herbert, who was the Wellington Phoenix coach and the All Whites coach at the time, said, look, if you don't make the next camp, you've been here for four years, you know, you want to think about coming over and play for, for us, we'd love to We'd love to have you. And it was a big decision. It wasn't something that I jumped at and said, yeah, all right, I'll do it for sure. I was like, oh, you know, Australia, New Zealand, you know, there's a rivalry, you know, is that the right thing to do? And But then after the five years had come and I, was, I knew I wasn't going to play for the Socceroos, I was like, I want to play international football. Um, you know, it's the it's the peak of of, of, of professional careers to play for uh, international football and, and playing big moments. So yeah, I ended up becoming a New Zealand citizen in 2013 and um, debuted like a week after my citizenship as well. So it was it was done pretty quick. Yeah, you actually got selected, I think, in the squad just the day after you got your citizenship. Yeah. Uh, a major debut against the Solomons in 2013. Was that a bit strange lining up singing the New Zealand anthem? Had you learnt the words beforehand? I hadn't, I hadn't actually learned them yet, but but throughout the, the course of my life, I, I made sure I did. But it wasn't so weird. Um, all, all the Phoenix players were all the All Whites players. So it felt like I was just playing um, with all my mates again. And, and the other thing that helped, they were so encouraging. All the guys, the All Whites guys, were saying, come on, Jura, come and do it. You know, it would be great coming to camp with us. And, you know, we'd love to have you. So... It was actually quite a smooth transition and the longer I stayed there and the longer and the, and the more amount of games that I, I was playing for New Zealand, I, I became very attached to it and, you know, the national anthem I was so proud of and, uh, you know, it, they're so attached to their history and their, um, you know, the Maori heritage and, you know, Australia could learn a lot from, from how they interact with their Indigenous people but, you know, it was really powerful stuff and I, I do still to this day feel really connected to New Zealand. Um, the highlights, I know that you've said this before of your international career, was playing at the Confederations Cup in 2017. You played all three matches in the group stage uh, and you played against a certain Cristiano Ronaldo. How did you go against him? Yeah, amazing moment. Um, you know, I've never really been starstruck and, um, you know, seen a celebrity and gone, oh, wow. But, you know, walking in the tunnel before the game and seeing him, you know, at the front of the, of the line was, I was like, oh, 
shit, you know, that's Ronaldo. This is, this is massive. Um, but during the game, it was, you know, I didn't really think too much. I was really focused on just trying to keep him quiet. And, and at that stage, he wasn't really uh, doing a lot in games. He was just staying up front. But when a ball went wide or he knew a cross was about to come in, he'd come to life and he'd get that yard on you. He'd push you. His leap was was incredible. So, you know, you really had to be aware of, of him when, when the cross was about to come in. But he scored a penalty, I think, in that game. But... Yeah, amazing moment. I, I came toe to toe with him on several occasions to to block shots and stop him. So yeah, it was a moment that will uh, leave me for a long time. Did he get his shirt, Jura? No one got his shirt. He he got uh, he got subbed off, I think, in maybe the seventieth minute, and then he got drug tested straight after. So he went <laughs> straight into the straight into the tunnel. And Tom Doyle, uh, Wellington Phoenix player, he actually got drug tested at the same time. So he was in the room, just him and. Ronaldo at the same time and uh, he asked for his jersey and and Ronaldo said oh look I won't give you this one let me go and get you another one and never came back so oh I could imagine the Kiwis in the dressing room they would have been going well, can you believe that bro he didn't even give me his jersey oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, dear um, Jurid, you, you lost the World Cup playoff to Peru in 2017. Is that one of the major disappointments of your, of your career, not qualifying for the World Cup? It's always difficult, yeah. isn't it, in that one yeah. playoff? Yeah, I could say it's a disappointment, but like you said, it was always going to be tough. You know, we had to play... The two times that we had to qualify was against Mexico. Um, you know, they were... You know, we had to go to uh, Azteca Stadium in Mexico City, play in front of 100,000 people to try and beat them. We got smashed four or five one that game, and you know it was it was a non contest. And then we had to play in the second leg at Wellington, and I think we lost four two. So, look, that was always going to be tough. And yeah, look, I thought we had a really good chance against Peru in the in the most recent World Cup qualifiers. We went nil all at home in in um, Westpac Stadium. Went over there. It was going to be challenging again. They had sixty thousand, and, and the passion, the fans over there are just—it's—it's it's incredible. I mean, South American football is just on another level in terms of their fans. And and I remember the night before the game, they'd done the old fireworks against the against the hotel building and um, woke us up. And and even on the day of the game, you know, we after lunch you have that that rest period, you have a little sleep, and they had fighter jets flying over our hotel to to try and keep us awake. So. They pulled out all stops and, um, you know, it was a, almost a sign of respect. I think they thought, you know, hang on, these guys are actually not too bad um, and we need to do everything we can to, to get into these this World Cup. And I remember before the Mexico qualifiers, you know, we had this big briefing. We had um, army guys in with us just saying it's going to be a hostile environment, you know, be careful on the bus and when you get off. And we're like, shit, this is going to be crazy the Mexicans didn't give us stuff about it they weren't worried about us they didn't they didn't try anything at night time they didn't they didn't care about us so for Peru to do that it was like you know what they actually they're, they're a little bit worried here it's almost worse isn't it when they just don't bother it's like no no yeah fine. yeah I was like oh I was waiting for something big to happen and the bus to get taken uh, over but no nothing great uh, great experiences though with uh, the yeah. all whites let's just finish off um talking about your club career with the last two seasons, which have been spent, of course, back in Australia with Western United. Uh, a good Indian summer, really, to, to your 20-year career. Um, fair to say, good first season and then maybe the second season syndrome kicked in a bit. Not, not helped, it must be said, by this consistently having to move around the country and play at so many different uh, venues, even at home. 
Yeah, look, it was a, it was a big, um, you know, I came, took myself out of my comfort zone and left Wellington after 11 years. And, uh, you know, it was more of a personal reason for leaving. It was had nothing to do with the club. It was just me wanting to go and test myself in a, in a different environment. Um, it brought me back to Australia. And for a long time in Wellington, my wife and I, we were like, you know, when's the right time to go home or is New Zealand going to be home forever? But the kids were old enough and they missed their grandparents and they missed being with their cousins. So, you know, this opportunity came up to come back to Australia and we're like, look, I think it's time when we come home. And look, I'm glad I did. I have no regrets. It's been an amazing journey here and, and trying to start a club from scratch and help create values in the culture. And, you know, that first season we had players like, um, you know, Diamante, Kone, uh, Urson Gulam, you know, Scott McDonald, you know, these guys and Bessart Barisha, you know, big players, really big players. Um, so I knew the intention of the club was was big and, and they were building the stadium and I wanted to be a part of something like that. I felt they were a really ambitious club and we did fantastic in that first season. But like you said, this year, um, you know, not so good. I, I thought we were, were good. Probably the last month was where it went to, um, you know, not, not so good. Uh, travel, yes, is is one of the reasons. Not having a home ground, 100%, uh, really affected us. We we played here, there, and everywhere. And when you're trying to build a club, you really need stability. And and I think this club will be massive once the stadium's built, and then you've got a home a home ground, and the fans can really get behind it. But at the moment, when you're going to Geelong, and then you go to Ballarat, and we take some games to Tasmania, and then you play some at Amy Park, <coughs> it's it's really hard to get that connection with the fans. So. Look, it's um, like I said, I've, I've loved being here. I think it's been a, a great journey for me. And like you said, to finish my career here in Australia has, has been fantastic in front of my friends and family. Did you get to a point at the end of the season where uh, you felt, yeah, look, it's it's enough. It's time. The body's telling me it's time to finish. Um, and also tell us about your next little adventure, which I know is, is a caravan trip around Australia with the family, which is a great thing to do uh, first up in retirement, I think. Yeah, look, um, you know, I knew this season was going to be my last season. Last season was actually my last season. I, I said to myself, I'll play this one year with Weston and then, you know, I'll finish up. But, you know, I had a really good season last year. The club wanted me to stay on. So, so I ended up staying on for, for an extra year, which, which was great. But, um, you know, more so mentally than physically is, is why I decided to stop. I thought physically I could maybe go around again because I feel pretty good and I played most games this year. But... It's more the mental side of it and getting yourself up every single day. And when you're a leader, you can't really get to training and slacken off and think, ah, oh, you know, I'll just I'll just play this small sided game. It doesn't matter if I lose. Like when you're the leader, you got to try and win and you you got to set the right example. So it becomes quite taxing. Um, but yeah, I, I know I know it was the right time to to finish up and fantastic career and I'm I'm proud of it. But I think, like you mentioned, this caravan trip around Australia with the kids is definitely going to help in, in retirement. Um, it's not me going straight into an office role or a, or a football role. And I'll be thinking, oh, I wish I was out there playing again. I'll be doing something incredible. Not many people get to, the, to do that. And I thought, if I don't do that now, I'll never do it. Um, you know, this is a great time, a, a transitional time for me and the family and the kids. And um, yeah, we, we're going to, we're going to do a full lap of, of the country, take six months off and uh, yeah, just do nothing and, and enjoy the sights of the, of the beautiful country. And Kim, that's brilliant. That's what, that's what well, I wanted to do, but I never got there. So, you know what, Spider, so many, so many people have said to us, I wish we did that. You know, we always wanted yeah. to do that, but we never, you know, we get to do it. And um, you know, it's something that, 
will be, you know, a memory for our kids forever. Yeah. Um, that leads us on to our Twitter and Facebook questions. And actually, Kim Williams on Facebook says, Jura, which part of Australia are you looking forward to visiting the most on your upcoming caravan holiday? <laughs> uh, I, I think if there was one place that I could only choose to go, I'd say WA, Western Australia, the, the coastline over there and the beaches is just spectacular. And uh, yeah, I'd say there and, and also Uluru, that's something that's, you know, different. I want, I want the kids to see Uluru as well and, and see the middle of the country. So, um, yeah, they're probably the two spots that I'm looking forward to the most. OK, I'm going to keep these uh, Twitter and Facebook questions uh, coming for a few minutes. Um, they're on a various topics. Bob and Bill, uh, this is our question of the week. Uh, congratulations, Bob and Bill. You win a $100 Outback Steakhouse voucher. Uh, I remember seeing your first match for the Jets against the Mariners where your leg was broken. You sort of touched upon this uh, throughout the earlier part of the chat. How did you get past that to build the career you've had since? Because, of course, that was your second leg break as well. Yeah, that was the second leg break. That... Um... It probably affected me a lot more because I knew what was ahead of me. I knew that, uh, you know, it was going to be a long road. It was going to be a long process. And with bones, you can't speed it up. You've just got to wait for the bone to heal. So it's out of your control, really. But, um, yeah, look, I had a good support network. My parents were fantastic. Um, you know, obviously, living away in Newcastle on my own, I was on my, I was on my own a lot. And back then, you know, there wasn't a lot of staff at the club. So you're almost on your own all the time because the SNC guys and the physios were dealing with the first team and they'd give you a program and they'd say, go on your way to the gym or go to the pool. So I did a lot of it on my own and it was a, it was tough. It was a, a really challenging time, but you know, I had, I had another two years on my contract ahead of me and I was like, I need to go, I need to make good on my, on my contract and I need to get back playing. And um, you know, it was hard, but it's all I wanted to do. I just wanted to get back out on the field and, and continue playing. Which is a good enough answer. Uh, Adam C on Facebook, uh, awesome career, Jura. What happened that day when playing for Sydney Olympic? You got shot in the chest. <laughs> yeah, so that um, that was when I was with the reserve team at Sydney Olympic and um, we were just in a, a pre-season friendly game against someone and uh, it was in Marrickville in Sydney. And we were just playing the game and then I got substituted off and uh, my old man gave me my jacket. And as I went to put my arm into my jacket, I felt like a big bang, a big pop into my chest. And my first reaction was I didn't want to show that I was hurt. So I kind of smiled and laughed and, and didn't want to show that someone, I thought someone had thrown a rock at me or something like that. And, <laughs> and my dad said, you're bleeding. I had a white, a white jersey on. And I lifted up my top and I had this little hole in my chest and blood was trickling down. He goes, you've been shot. And then someone heard that and then everyone's screaming, he's been shot. Everyone's <laughs> run to the clubhouse. Everyone's freaking out. So the whole, the whole, um, the whole ground just ran in and then the ambulance came. And, you know, when they said I'd been shot, I started freaking out. I was panicking. I started getting cold shivers and they covered me in blankets and, yeah, it went through my chest and, and the bullet lodged just under my armpit. I uh, went to hospital, they got it taken out and, you know, no real damage. Uh, you know, if it hit me straight on and went straight or hit me on the left side and went through my, you know, near the heart, you know, obviously was was going to be big problems. But, yeah, luckily it, it only got me there in the chest. And I just think, you know, they interviewed other teammates and and some of the guys that they had, had heard whistling go past their head at the time and they just thought it was bird swooping. But, but obviously there was some guy up on the hill taking pot shots at... Um, 
taking pot shots at people. And, and I'm just lucky that it got me where it did and not someone in the head or, you know, it could have been so much worse. And, you know, at the time, you know, it made the news obviously in channel seven and channel 10 and these channels picked it up and, and then it kind of just went away. But, you know, someone on social media brought it back up a couple of years ago and, um, you know, the story got brought back to life and I was almost like, oh yeah, I forgot that it happened. So it wasn't, um, a super traumatic time where I was scared to go out of the house again or anything like that. But, but obviously when you tell the story, it's such a, a crazy story to have happened. It's, it's such a bizarre story. It, it's unbelievable. Uh, uh, that, that is actually <laughs> unbelievable, mate, that someone was like shooting at your front. But it was Marrickville, I was about to say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, let's let's finish off. Two more questions. Obviously, we've got one from Spider, the one he asks every week. But before that, Nick Rojas asks, who was the tougher opponent, Cristiano Ronaldo or Matt Simon? <laughs> <laughs> Matt Simon caused me, he's probably given me a few more black eyes than Ronaldo did. But, um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Spider, take it away. Your weekly question. Mate, Jura, tell us, mate, the best ground you've played at and the biggest dungeon you've played at. Uh, best ground, I'd have to say the Azteca, uh, mm. you know, in front of 100,000 there was uh, insane. The, the history and, the, and the, the moments that were played at that game, the Maradona hand of God um, was, at that, was at that stadium. So, And when you walk through the tunnel and it's got all the the big moments, you, you feel like, wow, you're part of a, a big moment here. So I'd have to say that was the best, um, probably the worst, the worst pitch I've ever played on was a, was a, when I was at Wellington, we played a game in Auckland against um, a Melbourne Victory. And it was basically just dirt painted green. And uh, we, we won the <laughs> You've game. You've seen a few of those, Jura. <laughs> no, this was horrendous. We're like, I don't know if this game can, can go on. And I remember we beat them 2-0. And we had trained on the pitch the, the night before. And we're like, boys, when victory come, make sure we're out on the pitch to watch them, their reactions. And we saw Muskie walk out. We saw Barisha walk out. And they're like, what's... And they were, they were raging. And we're like, we've won this game. We're like, we've won this game. For sure, because it was horrendous. <laughs> Brilliant. Hey, uh, Jura, thank you so much for your time this morning. Um, it's been a fantastic career that you've had, two decades long, um, a richly earned retirement, and uh, good luck with the caravan trip that's coming up around Australia. Stay, stay, stay safe on the roads. Awesome. Hey, make sure, make sure, hey, make sure you send some Twitter things because I do watch that. So let me see where you're off to. All so right. can see the trip, <laughs> trip around Australia, what we it want, looks like. I'll, we want the I'll keep everyone updated. Yeah, yeah, I'll keep everyone updated. No worries. Thanks, Simon. Terrific. Thanks, Spider. Brilliant, Jura. Thanks very much, Brilliant, Jura. Thanks, guys. That Cheers. is Andrew Durante, and that is us for this week. Join us again next week for the penultimate show of the season. Until then, bye for now. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.